We start with questions to Prime Minister John Stevenson. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will share my sorrow at the capsizing of a small boat in the Channel in the early hours of this morning and the tragic loss of human life. Our hearts go out to all those affected and our tributes to those involved in the extensive rescue operation. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House, including the visit of His Majesty the King. I shall have further such meetings later today. John Stevenson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Prime Minister, a three-and-a-half-hour journey takes six hours. A straight journey ends up with two changes and a diversion. A train is cancelled at short notice. This has become the experience of a West Coast rail passenger. If Avanti do not get their act together, will the government cancel their franchise? Very popular question, Prime Minister. Mr Mr. Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for raising this, and I share the frustration that this is causing to many of his and other communities. Our priority immediately is to support the restoration of services before then making any long-term decisions on the operation of the West Coast franchise, but we will be closely monitoring Avanti's rollout of its recovery plan and holding them account for delivering for passengers. Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister? Our prayers go out to those who capsized in the freezing waters of the Channel last night. It's a reminder that the criminal gangs running those routes put the lives of the desperate at risk and profit from their misery. They must be broken up and brought to justice. Mr Speaker, tomorrow will be the first ever nationwide nurses' strike. All the Prime Minister has to do to stop that is to open the door and discuss pay with them. If he did, the whole country would breathe a sigh of relief. Why won't he? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we we have consistently spoken to all the unions involved in all the pay disputes that there are. But I am am glad he's raised our nurses, because they do do incredible work. And it's worth putting on record record what exactly we have done for our nurses. Last Last year, when the rest... Last year, when everyone else in the public sector had a public sector pay freeze, the nurses received a 3% pay rise. When the RCN asked for more in-work training, we gave every nurse and midwife a £1,000 training budget. And when they asked for nurses' bursaries, we made sure that every nursing student received a £5,000 grant. That's because we do work constructively and we will continue to back our nurses. Mr Speaker, nurses going on strike is a badge of shame for this government. Instead of showing leadership, he's playing games with people's health. And there is a human cost. Alex from Chester has been waiting for a gallbladder operation for nearly six months. He's in so much pain, he's been off school since then. His operation has already been cancelled twice. His mum, who I spoke to this morning, is worried sick. When she heard that strikes could be called off, she was massively relieved. She's desperate for the Prime Minister to resolve this. All he needs to do is simply meet the nurses. Alex's mum is listening to this. 
She doesn't want to hear him blaming everybody else. She doesn't want his usual ducking of the question. She's tuned in now because she wants him to explain what is he going to do to resolve the nursing strike. Mr Speaker, it's not just Alex. There are millions of others across this country. Alex and Mark. Millions of others. Millions of others who will have their health care disrupted because of the strike. Now, the Honourable Gentleman says to get round the table, but we all know what that means, Mr Speaker. That is just simply a political formula for avoiding taking a position on this issue. If he, if he, thinks, if he thinks the strikes are wrong, he should say so. If he thinks it's right, if he thinks it's right that pay demands of 19% are met, then he should say so. What's, what's weak, Mr. Speaker, is he's not strong enough to stand up to the union. Mr. Speaker, we know it's Christmas, but the party's not started yet. Come on, Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, in, in 12 hours' time, there's a nurses' strike. All he needs to do is meet the nurses. His inaction speaks volumes. As ever with this Prime Minister, it's Tory politics first, patients second. We've never seen a nurses' strike like this before. They've been forced into it because the government has broken the health system. Ask anyone in the NHS. They will tell you they don't have enough staff. 133,000 vacancies. And there's an obvious solution. Scrap the non-DOM status and use the money to bring through the next generation of doctors and nurses. That's what Labour would do. Why hasn't he got the guts to do it? Mr Speaker, we're already investing billions more in the NHS. We're already hiring thousands more doctors and nurses. But he asks, he asks, he asks about backlog. He asks about backlogs and the waiting times in the NHS. And yes, what he always fails to acknowledge is the impact that COVID did, Mr Speaker. That's why we're facing pressures. But we do have a plan, not just more money, not just more doctors and nurses, new diagnostic centres carrying out millions of checks and scans, new surgical hubs delivering more elective surgery. But we'd, if, if we'd listened to him, Mr Speaker, the backlog would still be growing, and that's because we'd still be in lockdown. Uh, as usual, Mr Speaker, he tries to blame everyone else. His department... His department commissioned a report into the NHS which reported on Monday. That report said we've had 10 years of managed decline. Yep. It was not COVID. Yep. Responsibility is sitting right there. And the reason he can't choose nurses over non-DOMs is because he's too weak to stand up for tax avoiders. For 12 years, they haven't trained enough doctors and nurses. So we have the absurd situation of the NHS spending billions on agency workers to fill the gap. Why should the country have to put up with money that should be spent treating patients being wasted, plugging gaps instead? Mr Speaker, let me tell the Honourable Gentleman what we are doing. We are actually listening to the independent pay review bodies. 
want to undermine them. We've offered a fair pay deal. They can't even decide on a number amongst themselves. We're actually protecting the public. They're protecting their paymasters, Mr Speaker. For working people in this country, for working people in this country, it's Labour's nightmare before Christmas. There he goes again, pretending everything is fine. Try telling that to those on waiting lists or those that can't afford to pay for a next-day GP appointment. After 12 years of Tory failure, winter has arrived for our public services, and we've got a Prime Minister who has curled up in a ball and gone into hibernation. If, if he can't act on behalf of patients or nurses or everyone who wants these strikes called off, then surely the whole country is entitled to ask what is the point of him and what is the point of the government he's supposed to be leading? Mr Speaker, he talks about COVID not having an impact. Ambulance waiting times for Category 1. Category 1 ambulance waiting times in February of 2020 were actually completely on target, Mr Speaker. COVID has had an impact. And that's why, that's why, that's why, as, as the Chief Executive of the NHS has acknowledged, this government is serious about its commitment to prioritise the NHS. But, Mr Speaker, let's just have a look at the NHS in Labour-run Wales, shall we? The worst A&E times in the country, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, under the last Labour government, we had fair pay for nurses and no strikes. So I won't, I won't be taking lectures from him about that. Order, order. Mr. Bowie, you promised to behave. Don't give me a Christmas present you won't want. Come on, kiss down. Mr. Speaker, this is our final PMQs of the year. So I hope you will part. Oh, really? I hope you will. Uh, Mr. Speaker, what I was going to say was I hope you will pass on all of our thanks, at least on this side, to all those who kept our house and our democracy working. Yeah. And I want to finish this year thinking about our friends in Ukraine. As a result of Putin's barbaric assault on their freedom, millions will spend Christmas in sub-zero temperatures without heating, electricity or hot water. Their suffering is unimaginable, but their bravery is awe-inspiring. So will the Prime Minister join me in saying that whatever other difficulties and disagreements we have across this dispatch box, we are and will remain united in our unwavering support for Ukraine's freedom its liberty and its victory. Well, Mr Speaker, can I join with the Honourable Gentleman in thanking and paying tribute to all the staff of the House for the fantastic work that they do to support all of us. Uh, and I appreciate his comments on Ukraine. It has been a point of incredible unity across this House and indeed the country, something that we can all be proud of in our country, that we have stood behind Ukraine in its hour of need. And as I said yesterday, this Christmas, many families will be laying an extra place at their Christmas table. And that speaks to the generosity and compassion of our nation. And long may that continue. Yeah. Angela Richards. 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the A3 connects London to Portsmouth through Guildford, and I was delighted to see the new Solent Freeport announced last week, which will increase traffic flows. As the A3 narrows through Guildford, it is sadly the most polluted road in the strategic road network. Short-term sticking plasters like putting up nine-metre-high air pollution barriers that will entrench divisions in Guildford is not acceptable to me or my constituents. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it is time to think big, it is time to think long-term, and it is time to tunnel the A3 under Guildford? Prime Minister. Well, can I, th I thank my, uh, my honourable friend for the question. I know this is an issue that she has long championed. I am told that national highways are developing a range of different possibilities uh, and solutions for the A3 through Guildford, and I know the Department for Transport will consider the case as it plans its future infrastructure investments. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. <laughs> yeah. I wish to join with the Prime Minister and the Leader of Opposition in extending my party's thoughts to all of those involved in the terrible tragedy in the Channel this morning. Yeah. Mr Speaker, thanks to positive and proactive negotiations between the Scottish Government and Unite and Unison Health Unions, a pay settlement has been reached and strike action averted. Yeah. By stark contrast, the UK Health Secretary appears completely unwilling to negotiate with unions on pay and strike action is very much still on the table. Shame. So may I ask the Prime Minister, when will he see the error of his ways and follow the Scottish Government's lead? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm glad the UK Government was able to provide £1.5 billion pounds in extra funding uh, to the Scottish Government for public services. Uh, and uh, the, the Health Secretary and other Ministers have engaged fully, not just with the unions, but with an independent pay-setting process, which takes the politics out of the process and ensures that we can meet those independent requirements with a fair pay deal. Stephen Flynn. Uh, Mr Speaker, let's be clear. Those words will ring hollow in the ears of those people who, unlike the Prime Minister, can't nip into Waitrose for their shopping, nor indeed even turn on their heating at this moment in time. And that's particularly true for people in Scotland, because as we know, average energy bills in Scotland are not anticipated to be £2,500 per year. They're expected to be £3,300 per year. People are genuinely terrified. And that's despite the fact that Scotland produces six times more gas than we consume, with some 80% of our electricity coming from low carbon sources. Decades of failed UK energy and regulatory policy coming home to roost. Is it not the case that Scotland has the energy? We just need the power. Well, well, Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm glad the Honourable Gentleman raised the question of energy support. And it's because of the actions of this government that we are providing every household in this country with around £900 of support with their energy bills this winter, £55 billion worth of support. And on top of that, next year, there will be extra cost of living payments worth up to £1,200 for the most vulnerable, whether that's those on means-tested benefits, pensioners or indeed disabled. This is a government that will always look after the most vulnerable in our society. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. As my right honourable friend will know, the Mayor of London, uh, despite objections, has decided to expand the ULEZ zone across all London boroughs, which will massively impact my constituents and those who share a border with London. 
Will he therefore urgently speak to the Transport Secretary and encourage him to use the powers at his disposal to reverse this disastrous decision? My, uh, my honourable friend will know that transport in London is devolved to the uh, Labour Mayor of London, uh, but it is disappointing that the Mayor, backed by the Leader of the Opposition, is choosing not to listen to the public. The zone is being expanded against the overwhelming views of residents and businesses, and I would urgently consider the Mayor and the gentleman opposite to be on the side of hard-working Londoners. David. Can I shoot myself and my party with the comments made by others on the tragedy in the Channel? Our thoughts and prayers are with the families' victims. Mr Speaker, 40% of cancer patients now wait more than two months for treatment after an urgent referral from a GP. That is the highest proportion on record and way above the Government's own cancer waiting target. I lost both my parents to cancer as a child, and so, like many people across the country and in this House, I know the devastating impact of treatment delays on cancer patients and their families. So I'd like to ask the Prime Minister two questions. First, can he give a cast-iron guarantee that the dreadful cancer backlog won't get any worse? And second, when will the government meet its own cancer target? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm very sorry to hear about the right honourable gentleman's parents. Indeed, I'm sure many of us across this House have been, uh, been uh, our families have been tragically affected by what cancer does, and he's right to raise the importance of meeting our targets. And what I am able to tell him is we actually are experiencing very high numbers of cancer referrals following the pandemic. He'll be aware of that. But thanks to the brilliant work of our NHS staff, cancer treatment rates in uh, the most recent month for which we have data are now back at pre-pandemic levels with a plan for them to increase further. And recently, the NHS also announced plans to fast-track patients direct to cancer tests rather than have to wait for specialist consultation first. These measures will make a difference, and I look forward to updating on them in the new year. Mary Robinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With the closure of the last bank in Cheadle, yet another of my local communities has been left totally <coughs> bereft of a high street banking service. So I was pleased when I heard the announcement that Cheadle was to get a banking hub. Unfortunately, my delight was short-lived when, on closer inspection, I saw the Duke's Cheadle, Staffordshire. <laughs> Whilst I remain pleased for the other Cheadle, would my right honourable friend agree with me that my constituents also need to, uh, access to cash and banking facilities to protect businesses and support our high street? And will he support our local calls for post office banking hubs? My, uh, my honourable friend is a fantastic champion for Cheadle in Greater Manchester. She will, uh, she will know that the Financial Services and Markets Bill will establish a legislative framework for protecting access to cash. And alongside this, uh, firms are already working to provide shared services, as she mentioned, like bank hubs. But uh, what I would encourage my honourable friend to do is to contact Link. Which, in, which can undertake an independent assessment of a community's cash access needs and determine if shared facilities are appropriate. David Hamilton. Mr Speaker, my constituent Sharon has an 11-year-old daughter who suffers from eating disorders and severe anorexia. She was forced to spend a year in hospital in Sheffield, 40 miles away, because there were no beds in Leeds 
for children with those eating disorders. This, Mr Speaker, is completely unacceptable. So will the Prime Minister now commit to ensuring that NHS mental health provision for young people is dramatically improved so that no other family has to ever again endure similar trauma? Well, first of all, can I say to, to Sharon and her family, I'm sorry about what she's experienced. The Honourable Gentleman makes an excellent point. Uh, mental health funding, as he knows, is increasing, so we ensure parity of service. He's also right to raise the issue of eating disorders. It's something that provision is currently expanding for. I think 2,000 more children uh, were given the treatment that, and advice and support they needed last year, and there are plans to go further because it's an issue that needs tackling. Jason McCullough. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, Police Constable Nicola Hughes (coughs) and PC Fiona Bone were savagely murdered in Manchester whilst on duty a decade ago. Nicola's dad, Bryn, is my constituent. He lives in Marsden. He was in Parliament again last week, continuing his campaign for emergency service workers and police officers who die whilst on duty to be awarded the Elizabeth Medal posthumously. Does my right honourable friend agree with me and Bryn that now is the time to commemorate and honour our brave police officers and emergency service workers who make the ultimate (coughs) sacrifice by awarding posthumously the Elizabeth Medal? Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend for his question and I thank his constituent Bryn for his campaigning. Every life lost in the line of duty is a tragedy, and we remember the lives and service of PCs Nicola Hughes and Fiona Bone. We are determined, Mr Speaker, to ensure that sacrifice that police officers and other public service officers make is recognised, and we are carefully considering the best and most appropriate ways to do this. Thanks, Mr Speaker. Across these islands, people are suffering because of the woefully inadequate policies of this UK Tory government. They've crashed the economy, left millions in fear of the cold this winter, and are stoking division over striking workers rather than negotiating fair pay deals. Why is it that the only people that can rely on this Prime Minister are questionable PPE suppliers of the House of Lords, bankers and former Prime Ministers getting taxpayer-funded handouts to defend their partying through COVID? Mr Speaker, the the only people stoking division in our United Kingdom are the party opposite. Question Question 12, sir. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, our priorities are growth, investing in public services and giving businesses the confidence they need to invest. I look forward to discussing this with the Mayor of the West Midlands. Mr Speaker, when my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, recently visited the National Memorial Arboretum, he was slightly late. But I don't blame him, because he had to come by road. Now, my uh, friend, the Mayor of the West Midlands, is supporting an extension of the cross-city line from Birmingham using an existing freight line to make it into a rail service to the National Memorial Arboretum and beyond. So, may I ask my right honourable friend, will he revisit the National Memorial Arboretum again, see the Armed Forces Memorial and also come to Litchfield and see why we need a leisure centre? (laughs) 
I'd be, uh, I'd be delighted to come and visit the National Memorial Arboretum again, see my friend and the fantastic uh, Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street, to discuss his plans to drive growth and opportunity in the region. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, it is now well over three years since the Conservatives promised the end no-fault evictions. Enfield has the highest rate of Section 21 evictions in London. Thirty families in my constituency in the last month alone were made homeless as a result of Section 21. I have families sat in my office trying to keep warm as we try to find them emergency accommodation. Will the Prime Minister scrap this shameful legislation? If so, when? Well, Mr Speaker, the Honourable Lady will know that we have announced plans to do that and we await parliamentary time, but it's not... But it's not the only thing we are doing uh, to protect renters, uh, Mr Speaker. We have passed legislation already to protect le- re- tenants from rip-off fees, and we've capped holding deposits, because we want to make sure that renters do have the protections that they require, and they have that decent homes to rent. Holly Latham. Thank you, Mr yeah, yeah, Speaker. Yeah. Small modular reactors are a hugely important part of our future energy mix. Yes. And this Conservative government realised that when it awarded Rolls-Royce nuclear section based in my constituency a grant of £210 for development. But there's still no clarity or plan for moving from development to deployment. Will the Prime Minister come with me to meet Rolls-Royce to discuss how to move things forward and ensure the UK benefits from this exciting opportunity? Well, my, uh, my honourable friend makes an excellent point. I'm delighted that government has awarded £210 million to Rolls-Royce SMR last year for research and development. This does have the potential to benefit the UK and support our energy security and climate goals. I look forward to getting updates and for working with my honourable friend to see this fantastic new technology come to life. When my constituent, who has dementia, was taken ill recently, it took three hours for an ambulance to arrive. He then spent 10 hours in the back of an ambulance outside A&E, queuing to get in. The doctor said to him, I'm so sorry we're treating you out of the back of a truck. But as we've heard, the King's Fund has said that the government has presided over a decade of neglect of managed decline in the NHS. So isn't it the Prime Minister, not that doctor, who should be apologising? Mr Speaker, that same King's Fund report also acknowledged that there was 40% more funding going into the NHS uh, under this Conservative government. But we do need to make sure that that funding makes a difference. That's why this winter half a billion pounds is being deployed to move people out of hospital beds into social care to speed up those discharges specifically so that ambulances won't be queuing as much as they currently are. And that money is already making a difference on the ground. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The community in Kingshurst, which I represent, has suffered an unimaginable tragedy earlier this week when four children fell through the ice at Babs Mill Lake. Sadly, three of the children did not survive, and one, a six-year-old, is fighting for his life. They and their, uh, their, their families are all in my thoughts and prayers. Will my right honourable friend pay tribute to the community in Kingshurst, which has come together and is supporting each other to get through this tragedy? And will you recognise the heroic efforts of the emergency services, yeah. including the police officer who used his bare hands to try and break through the ice and then jumped in the water with fire service personnel without the PPE, ri- risking their own lives to save the young children? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend and can I send my condolences to the family and friends of all of those who lost their lives. I also join him in paying tribute 
to our emergency services for, as he said, their incredibly selfless actions. This whole event has completely shocked the local community, and I know that my honourable friend will continue to do all he can to support his constituents at this difficult time. Dame Angela Riedel. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. This year, the Tory party has given us five education secretaries, four chancellors, three prime ministers, two leadership coups. And, the, and Mr. Speaker, the partridge has had to sell the pear tree to pay the gas. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Speaker, isn't it the case that after a year of Tory chaos, incompetence, and self-indulgence, the best Christmas present the Prime Minister could give to the British people is a general? Mr. Speaker, when it, Mr. Speaker, they're happier with that than before, Mr. Speaker. But all, all I'd say, all I'd say, when it comes to what the British people need this Christmas, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, in order to ease the disruption on their lives, the best thing that the party opposite could do is tell their union bosses to call off these damaging strikes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. After the Second World War, Winston Churchill sent British Conservative lawyers to help to draft the European Convention on Human Rights, and that's something that we can be proud of in this country. But in an age of mass migration, the ECHR is now limiting our ability to control our borders. So in light of the tragedy in the Channel this morning, does the Prime Minister agree he should do as Churchill did? draft a new framework for refugees and human rights, including legal routes. But one way or another, and if necessary alone, we must be prepared to leave the ECHR. Mr Speaker, Speaker, as I told the House yesterday, our new legislation will deliver a system whereby a person who comes here illegally will have no right to stay and will be removed to their own country or a safe third country alternative. That is the system that the British people want to see. That is the system that we will deliver, and I look forward to hearing whether the party opposite will support it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As temperatures are plummeting and the cost of living crisis is deepening, ordinary families are facing a Dickensian nightmare across the country this Christmas. Mortgage bills are soaring, household repossessions are up, and nearly half a million tenants face a threat of eviction after falling behind on their rent. Too many people are worrying about where they and their children will wake up on Christmas morning. So will the Prime Minister agree to a temporary ban over the festive period on repossessions and evictions so that nobody has to live in fear of losing their home this Christmas? Uh, Mr Speaker, we provide a range of support to both homeowners and tenants who are in difficulty already. But the most important thing we are doing to financially support them through the winter is by providing almost £900 of support with their energy bills, on top of all the additional support for those who are most vulnerable, including pensioners. That demonstrates the actions of this government to help the country get through what we acknowledge is a challenging time. Stephen Crow. Tomorrow, Mr Speaker, at 9.30, you will lead this House in a one-minute silence to mark 80 years since the British government recognised that the Holocaust was taking place in Nazi-occupied Europe. 
as we come together to mark that moment, will the Prime Minister join me in praising the Holocaust Educational Trust and the extraordinary survivors who continue to do amazing work ensuring that the next generation understand and learn the lessons from the past? Mr Speaker, 80 years ago, Parliament listened in stunned silence as the truth of the Holocaust was spoken in this House for the very first time. So it's absolutely right that you, Mr Speaker, lead a moment of silence in which we will stand together to remember and reaffirm that truth. I join my honourable friend in paying tribute to the work of the Holocaust Educational Trust, and it could not be more fitting that Britain's Holocaust Memorial and Learning Centre should be built right next door to here to Parliament. We must never forget the Holocaust, and we must stamp out anti-Semitism and prejudice in all its forms, wherever we find it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Kefili County Borough Council recently announced a £3 million cost-of-living hardship fund to help those most in need in Islaw and across our county borough. Does the Prime Minister think it's right that local authorities are forced to cover the costs of 12 years of economic mismanagement by this Tory government? Mr Speaker, what the Honourable Gentleman fails to acknowledge is that because of the actions of this UK Government, not only are we supporting people in Wales and across the United Kingdom with help with our energy bills, we have also provided £1.2 billion of extra funding for the Welsh Government to use to give to local authorities to support their constituents, and he would do well to acknowledge the benefits of the United Kingdom and the actions of the UK Government. We have a record 4,000 newly qualified doctors training to be GPs, which is really excellent. But we do have an issue with retention, which is made even worse in areas like mine, which have extremely high housing growth. As the son of a GP, what will the Prime Minister do to fix this? Prime Minister. Well, um, Mr Speaker, I know this is uh, an issue that my honourable friend has talked and championed for a long term, and he's right to do so. Uh, we do have record numbers of GPs in training at the moment. We're also making sure that we support primary care appointments and primary care access. And I know that my honourable friend, the Health Secretary and Chancellor, are looking at how best we can increase retention, particularly with regard to pensions, and I look forward to getting his suggestions. Final question, Wendy Chamberlain. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. In a written response from the DWP, it was confirmed to me that an unpaid carer earning more than £132 a week in their job is classed as being in gainful employment and, as a result, loses their carer's allowance of £69.70 a week. Now, caring doesn't stop. It never stops. So can the Prime Minister explain to me the rationale of this decision, given that we are trying to get economically inactive people back into work? And secondly, can he explain why it's his government's position that £132 a week is enough for people to live on? Prime Minister. (laughs) Mr Speaker, can I first start by paying tribute to those up and down the country who give up so much of their time to care for others? And I'm actually delighted that the government is supporting the Honourable Member's Bill which will give a week of highly flexible paid leave to unemployed carers. I think it's the right thing to do, and I'm grateful that the Honourable Lady is taking it forward. A carer's allowance is a means-tested benefit. It's part of many other benefits that are available to support people. And as I've said, right now, there is significant support in place for people through Christmas with their energy bills. That completes Prime Minister's questions. Just let the House clear. 